0: The Restless Midlifer Podcast. Get health, weight and life back on your terms. Hi, welcome to episode 91 of the Restless Midlifer Podcast. Great to have you along. Now, this week we've got a great interview with a friend of mine, Greg Kettner. Now, Greg is based in Washington, the other Washington I'm here in Washington UK he's based in Washington in the US and Greg has a, a great background of experience including stand-up comedy and he is now the founder of work happy in which he works with organizations and companies to help them develop a happier workforce culture with a view to improving not just the outcomes for work but better well-being better mental health and just to to create the, the, a, a culture where we support each other we're in it together and I think it's a brilliant course it's a brilliant work and what he does is he uses Uses his stand-up as part of his work in and weaves it into his workshops and his speaking so on that note uh, I'm not going to go into the interview in any more detail because Greg shares his story his background and a lot of insights and, and some great learning for us all but I do and I did flag, I do flag this at the end of the interview I do recommend that you um, check out the TEDx talk that he has which is the links in the show notes um, it's It's a great insight to Greg's work and a brilliant, poignant, powerful and and funny um, 12 minutes or so in which he shares some thoughts and some insights using that humour. Brilliant. So I really do recommend you check that out. But stick around for the podcast interview as well. Greg's great as always. Um, So before we get on to the, the interview itself, what I want to do is do my usual share my food for thought. And this week I want to talk about what I call... Um, the frazzles inside <laughs> so I've come to call it that because of um, a certain packet of crisps frazzles crisps for those of you who many of you'll know them they're bacon flavored sort of puff crisps Aren't they like um, a corn type crisp really nice really strong flavor and I haven't had them for ages years it's one of those things where you, you know it's back to childhood when you have them now the frazzles inside for me was a, is it relates to a recent experience where we got a bag of those in you know bag a multi-bag of six packs of uh frazzles in for rosie's uh lunchbox. you know so she's got a little treat she picks a packet of crisps and puts them in uh, a lunch box each day and last week i was working away i was probably writing a few posts editing this that and the other as i do and i just got an inkling to think hmm, i could just fancy a bag of frazzles and that was nothing more didn't consciously register it, next thing I'm at the cupboard and I'm slapping the bag of frazzles out on the kitchen bench. And here's the thing, how often do we do that? And I think it's particularly, it's, it's relevant in, because many of us are working from home more, we're surrounded perhaps by fridges, and this can be the same in the office if there's, if there's uh, tuck shops, tuck, all sorts available. But there are so many things available, we're often so busy that it takes a one spontaneous thought, and before we know it, We've lifted out a bag of crisps, or so we're open the fridge door, we're looking in, or if you're at, you know out with friends, you've agreed to something that you really didn't want to eat or do uh, or have, that kind of thing. It's very impulsive and natural that when we're sort of our minds are elsewhere, we kind of cannot go on to automatic pilot. So I think it's a really common thing. Now here's here's where for me what I would normally do, would just open in the packet and mindlessly eat the frazzles, and that would be it. I wouldn't feel great about myself. It might even spark up a bit of grazing around looking for what else I can have that, because uh, I think that was stuff that I've done it now. I've, I've spoiled it. And that's that self-talk, which I'm not gonna talk about today. I've talked about self-talk a, a lot in terms of not letting that one little thing spin you off into other things. But what I actually did was, and this was non, non-deliberate, but it sparked an insight that I think we can use with deliberation. I put the packet of frazzles down and thought, right, I'm going to make myself a cup. and I'll have a cup of coffee uh, and uh, and then I'll enjoy them. So I went off, put the kettle on, you know, waiting for it to, to boil, just an instant cup. So I put the spoon in the, in the cup and then looked around and noticed some clothes on the radiator that needed for and put away. Um, and I'm a big one for just chunking the job down. I don't like to go into, go on the radiator and empty the whole lot. I like to pick off a few things, take them with me and whatever. The sprout size approach, the sprout sweater approach, in action, in everything. But here's the point. I picked off those few things, folded a couple of things, thought, right, I'll take them upstairs, made myself a coffee, grabbed the coffee, grabbed the clothes, headed upstairs, put the clothes closer to the final destination. If you remember previous podcast, if you are listening, you, I'll have talked about that tip where just move it closer. You don't actually have to put them away. You just move them closer to the room. And next time I'll move them a little bit closer, next time they'll go in the drawer or whatever. So that was what I did. Came down, sat down with my cuppa and got on with it. It wasn't until about three hours later when I needed to top my juice up or my water, my, my drink, I took it downstairs and saw the packet of frazzles on the bench. And I realised, do you know what? I've never given that another thought. Not one single thought. And in that moment, I was downstairs topping the juice up and I was about to go out to pick Rosie up from school. So it was kind of like done deal. No need. I could have wolfed it down, but I, just, I, was, I was doing other stuff. Put the crisps away, went on with my day. And since then, I've thought about that frazzles packet because I've thought, what, 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 what happened there? And, the, and what happened there was distraction. Now, distraction for me, in so many right ways, gets a bad name because we can be distracted uh, at the wheel. We can be distracted in our work and not get stuff done. We can easily be distracted off task. We can also be distracted and not realise what we're putting in our mouths and eating mindlessly, that kind of thing. But what if we were to think about distraction in a positive way, to think about using it in a positive way to help us towards our goals of perhaps snacking less? Um, you know, perhaps not talking ourselves out of that activity or this, this thing that I need to do towards my goal. What if we were to use it more constructively? Which means we need to be more deliberate because the, the essence of distraction in a way is that it is kind of ad hoc, it happens. You, you don't mean or intend to get distracted. So this ties into something I've talked about before but I think is useful, useful to think about is delay and building in perhaps a little rule or a policy that you have for yourself in terms of, that fits with the goal. So I'm going to use the snacking as a goal because that's one of mine is to reduce my amount of snacking in the afternoon, particularly that lull in the afternoon where you start thinking, could you just fancy something? What can I do? How could I use distraction to more effect and more deliberately as opposed to what happened the other week, which is just, you know, an accidental distraction? What I can do is develop a policy that says, okay, Dave, you can can have a snack. You can have a snack, but the policy is you can have it only after you've delayed for 10 minutes. You've found something else to do or you've delayed your consumption of the thing and your decision to have until after 10 minutes. And there's some interesting research around this in terms of habit formation and and compliance and also breaking habits. How delays, adding in a delay can be useful in increasing compliance and reducing the time, the amount of times we might fall off the wagon or make the wrong decision. So what we're talking about here is adding a little policy or a rule for the day that says, Okay, Dave, replace your name with. Um, You can have that packet of frazzles, but give yourself 10 minutes because what I want to do is uh, I'll I'll go and find something else to do. I'll do this, I'll do that. And if after 10 minutes you want that packet of frazzles, you can have them. And here's the interesting thing because there'll be times when I will have that packet of frazzles because it's so on my mind that I just can't get out of my mind. I really want that packet of frazzles. Versus sometimes I get distracted. I get absorbed again in something else as happened with, with the case last week, or I make a different decision. Because the other thing is that we do a lot of things on automatic pilot and absent mindedly. That delay of 10 minutes gives the opportunity for distraction and also for me to tune back into the deliberate Dave, the Dave that says, actually, do you need that? I'm trying to work towards this. I'm training for that. I want to get to that operation demoop end game. Do I really want it? And sometimes the answer was stuff that I'm gonna have them anyway. But often the answer is at that point because the impulse, the feeling, the thought has passed and faded. The answer is no, I don't really, you know. I'll, I'll get on with something else. I'll do something else. So using delay to allow you to be distracted with something else or to make a different decision. So think about that as to how you might use that in the particular goal that you have. I've used snacking as an example, um, but it can be used in all sorts of different contexts as well. It might be you know out out of the pub with friends. Uh, where you fully intend to use willpower just to, to uh, have that one drink or that no drink, etc. etc. you can use these as opportunities for that or to do something different. So anyway, have a think about that and uh, let me know your thoughts, feedback, any ideas where you might use that particular strategy. And I um, hope you enjoyed the interview with Greg. I'm sure you will. It's a great interview. I share some great things. So I'll catch you on the other side and take care. Hi there, Greg. Well, it's great to have you along. I've been looking forward to this interview, this catch up. We've known each other for a while, but um, do you want to tell the audience a little bit about yourself, what you do, and what brought you to where you are now as well?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and thanks for having me on, Dave. It's been great. Uh, I think we met through our, our business coach, Craig, which was what, probably, like you said, probably a year ago. And yeah. I know you're over in Newcastle. I'm in Washington State over in the US. So it's uh, it's great that we have Zoom. We can have a conversation. <laughs> yeah yeah it's
0: brilliant yeah we've been trying to schedule this a while but obviously time differences and things like that going on it's uh yeah. a bit tricky but it's good to have you here so I guess a good place to start is is what you do now and then work back in terms of how you got the way you are because I think it all ties in very much to what you're doing and why you're doing what you're doing
1: yeah no for sure so I work with uh leaders organizations and individuals on how to work happy. Uh, and the basis of that is how do we talk uh, normalized conversations around mental health uh, in the workplace? Because it's so needed, especially during the pandemic. And I heard a stat the other day that uh, depression has gone up uh, 33% across the board, or it went up 33% between February 20 and August of 20, 2020. So within seven months, it went up a third, a third higher. More people are depressed just because it was COVID and, you know, people were getting laid off and, and being indoors and everything. And so I work with organizations. How do we work happy? And I have a training program on the nine steps, how to work happy, uh, how to be happy yourself. And so I, I deliver that and help people work happy because when we are happy, when employees are happy, um, productivity goes up, re- uh, retention goes up. Um, all these sorts of good things and company revenue so it's all beneficial it's you know you know as well as i Dave. it's simple things right it's it's doing stuff for yourself taking care of yourself that's what i do um how i got here uh i went to college i worked for nike i worked in the sports world for the national hockey league and major league of soccer and um then i was in software and i was um doing software, I, I just, I wasn't fulfilled. I wasn't happy. I was making a lot of money, but uh, it wasn't there. And uh, then one night, uh, a couple of us uh, guys got out to a pub and had a few beers. And we were walking to another pub and we saw an open mic night, stand-up comedy. And I've always been a big fan of stand-up comedy back in the days with Robert Williams and uh, Norm MacDonald and Bill Cosby, all these guys. So I kind of grew up on, on it. And I always thought, wow, that would be a fun job if I could ever do that. So we we uh we walked into this pub and uh the guys encouraged me to go up on stage and uh I did and I felt such a rush. I went up and told some silly story, and I had you know all 15 people in this pub laughing. And so I went back and I just kept on doing it. And uh so I started doing stand-up. I'd been doing it for about four years on and off. So at that time the biggest crowd i had was 30 or 40 at a comedy club i had a solid you know 5 10 minutes of fart and poop jokes um i thought it was hilarious i was average at best um but a, a big turning point in in my career and i'd done sales for 27 years so love people love connecting and i found uh, i don't know uh, almost a safe space on the stage which i know sounds weird to many people because um, death taxes and public speaking are the biggest fears people have. Um, and so I was working for a software company, SAP, one of the biggest ones in the world. And every year, uh, we had an annual sales kickoff. So 4,000 people from North America. We'd go down to Las Vegas. We'd stay in the Bellagio Hotel. Imagine 4,000 employees, right? You, it's a huge convention. I knew maybe a couple hundred people. and. Every year at the sales kickoff, uh, they had the biggest event company event, which was the sales kickoff uh, or the awards banquet. And every year they would hire uh, a celebrity. One year it was John Cleese, uh, another year it was Sugar Ray Leonard to be the MC. And I don't know what their budget every year was, but the number one salesperson uh, got a brand new Porsche every year for just doing his job, doing it well. Um, and they would hire these guys to come in and MC run the run the awards banquet. And that year, the house band was Lenny Kravitz. Um, so it's a pretty big deal. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the, this one particular year, uh, the the comedian got up, and I don't know what had happened if he had had a bad start or if he was under the influence when he walked on stage. But he said something. He, he stumbled out of the gate, and as a comedian. When you're not getting the laughs, you kind of try and go with stuff that you know. Uh, But this was a corporate event. He'd been paid 30, 40 grand to do this. So it's very, very PG, very vanilla. You can't make fun of people's race or sex or income or, you know, all these kinds of things. So 10 minutes in, he said something so horrible about the first presenter as he walked off stage. The two of them got into a fight. Or not a fist fight, but <laughs> a yelling match. He's like, You call me what? And I said, Well, I called him like I see him. Um, and the next thing we know, the room is just dead silent 4,000 people. We just started dinner. We're seven minutes into a three hour program. Uh, they cut the microphone. Uh, Lenny Kravitz started playing again, and the room was just, it was very, very awkward. Well, five minutes later, I was at the very back of the room uh, with a bunch of people I had not met yet uh i mean we all knew that we worked together but we didn't know each other that well um and over the pa system uh, a voice said hey we wanted to apologize for what just happened we're extremely sorry that was not our intent at all um but wanted to let you know we're gonna be restarting the whole program in its entirety in 15 minutes so grab another drink uh continue with your meal we're sorry we'll start again then they finished off the announcement by asking if anyone knew where Greg Kettner was, <laughs> which freaked me out. Right. Cause here I am in, in front of 4,000 people who knows who I am and why are they calling me? And I, I, I went back to last night in my head. I, I, I was like, how much did I drink? <laughs> and who was I talking to? Totally thought I was going to get fired, right? Get sent home early from Vegas. Um, <laughs> And so I didn't say anything. I didn't, you know, I'm like, I'm not ready to leave. I, I want to stay the weekend. So I didn't say anything. Nobody at the table knew who I was. And then five minutes later, they said, seriously, if anyone knows Greg Kettner's phone number or room number, or if he's at the craps table, like, we need to talk to him. And that's when my uh, former friend Trevor <laughs> came running over from about uh, four tables. He's like, dude, they want you to go do stand-up comedy, man. You're the show. You're in Vegas. It's sold out. You're going to tell your jokes in front of 4,000 people. And so he totally outed me. So the whole table knew, and he's dragging me up there. And I started to freak out. I mean, I don't know if it was adrenaline or what, but I couldn't remember my name or any of the jokes that I told at a comedy club before. (laughs) So we get backstage. I said, hey, I'm Greg Kettner. How can I help? They said, well, you saw what happened. I said, yeah, I'd, I'd hate to follow a guy like that. They said, that's what we need you to do. (laughs) <laughs> we have no idea what we're doing. We don't have an MC anymore, so we need you to go do stand-up comedy for 15 minutes uh, to entertain everybody, get everybody's mind off of what just happened. Uh, and I'm sitting here thinking, like, you, what? They go, yeah, we heard somebody said that you do stand-up comedy. You're really funny. And I said, yeah, but I only have fart and poop jokes. They go, just be BPG. We don't care if there's a fart joke, but and they had no idea, right? That my biggest crowd was 30, 40 people at a pub in a pub and so I thought well here's an opportunity and I've always been in sales and you know always say yes and try and figure out what you're going to do on the back end to to help and I I thought you know what here I am in Las Vegas I want to be a stand-up comedian you know I was working mostly up until then for burgers and beers and uh, so I said yeah sure let's go so they're wiring me up a lapel mic Uh, I'm trying to think of anything funny to say I remember standing backstage. I was hanging onto the railing for dear life. I was sweating. Uh, there was this massive royal. I don't know how big the stage was, but it just seemed like a football field to me. Uh, and so I'm ready. And uh, my my friend and mentor and VP Steve Lucas just you know tapped me and said, "Hey, you ready, Greg?" And I said, well, "It's now or never." So he went out on stage and he said, "Hey, you know, again, sorry for what happened." Um, but lucky for us, we have one of our own salespeople who's a really, really, really funny comedian, to which I I turned around. I was like, well, who's following me? <laughs> yeah. uh, so he brought me out there, and I stepped out on the stage, looked around, uh, found the middle of the stage, and I just looked at the audience and said, hey, everybody, I'm Greg Kettner, and I can't do any worse than the last guy. <laughs> <laughs> But right there, Dave, I had him laughing and it was a standing ovation, right? Because some dude from the crowd got up and was going to do stand-up comedy. Yeah. So I you know, I just started telling stuff that had happened that week. I said, you know, I I, I blew my whole commission, my last commission check on a, on a T-shirt um, yesterday. Uh, and as risky as I got, I, I don't know where I came up with it, but um, towards the end, I was saying how we always come to Las Vegas because it's a fun place to hang out and have a conference and learn and network and all this kind of stuff. And I said, they always, we always come to Vegas because the, the slogan is what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. I said, that's not necessarily true because I was here six months ago with the boys and it still hurts on IP. pee. <laughs> <laughs> right. So that's as, that's as raunchy as I got. Right. Um, so I on the, on the stage, they had a clock, and it was at 13 minutes. I had two more minutes to go. I didn't have anything else to say. Um, but that year, if you hit a certain uh, sales target, a certain number, you got to go on President's Club, which was a $10,000 cruise through Turkey, Italy, and Greece. Like, they picked you up at the house. The cab was paid for, the flights, the cruise, everything. Um, and I was nowhere near getting on the boat that year. Wow. And so I thought to myself, I have a captive audience. I'm in sales. I might as well ask. What's the worst that can happen? They can say no. But I apologized in front of 4,000 people saying, hey, I didn't hit my number. I apologize to my manager, and my team. And uh, I said, but I'm kind of helping out the company right now. Is there any way I can get on the boat? <laughs> <laughs> and I shut up, and that was it. And about, it seemed like forever, but it was probably 30 seconds. Seconds later, uh, a gentleman from the front table stood up, came to the stage. I leaned over. He goes, Hey, Kit, you're on the boat. And so I went, I had a microphone on. I'm like, Really? I'm on the boat. I made it. So I'm like, I made club, right? So for the fourth out. So I get another standing ovation. And then I lean back down. I'm like, Who are you, man? He's like, My name is Jacques. I'm president of SAP. <laughs> 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 so uh, I, uh, you know, I, I did 15 minutes of stand up in Vegas. I got a $10,000 trip, which is what, 40 grand an hour. Um, and then three weeks later, I was back in the pubs, to, you know, doing stand-up comedy for a burger and a beer. So, oh. But just that feeling that I had on stage and, you know, it, it was weird because I walked off stage and now everybody wanted to be my friend. Right. So it, it was just a really weird feeling. I, and it got to the point where I'm like, I just, I just want to go to my room. I want to get out of here. So, Two of my buddies, like, all right, let's get out of here, and uh, we went up to the room and just had a couple of beers and, and chilled out and stuff. But it was that night that I thought, you know what, there might be an opportunity to to help other people laugh and 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 to work happy. So I spent the next six years doing stand up comedy on the road. I got to work with guys like Robin Williams and Norm Macdonald and Gilbert Gottfried and tour and do a bunch of stuff. But it didn't it didn't pay a lot of money, right? I mean, I joked that I, you know. I would say last year I made close to six figures doing stand-up comedy. Uh, I just don't tell people that, you know, five is close to six. (laughs) You know, so you're working, you know, 100 bucks, 200 bucks a night. So it took me six years to figure out that I liked money more than stand-up. So Mm -hmm. I went back in the workforce, uh, but I was still doing stand-up on the side. And I was playing a club down in, in Oregon. And after the show, uh, an old friend of mine, her name popped up on Facebook. I was just kind of surfing Facebook, and I'd had some wine. And back in the day in college, I had a very soft spot for her, but she was already dating, and she married this guy. But she popped up, and I was like, hey, how are you doing? I'm like two hours down the road doing stand-up comedy, and we just ended up talking that night on Facebook. And uh, what was it? Three or four months later, we started dating long distance. Um, and then we got married. So once you get married, I was living in Vancouver. She was down um, here in Walla Walla. And apparently uh, when you get married, you have to live in the same town. I didn't know that. <laughs> it was in the fine print that I that I passed over. So I moved down here and uh, had a couple more sales jobs. And I was working for a chamber of commerce as um, director of membership. So I would go out, solicit more members to come in help the congress you know the congress (laughs) the chamber uh that was the income right it was 95 percent of our income was the membership and it was i was doing well the the manager really hadn't managed people before wasn't a really people person so i kind of took on extra responsibilities i was you know kind of the face and 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 not not thinking it it just happened right i was always the one without town i was talking to Business owners, I was doing all the networking and stuff, Um, and then COVID hit. It was March. uh, What was the date? March 18, I think, or March 2022, and or 2020. And we'd had a phone call, and after the phone call, uh, or during the phone call, I said, "All right, I'll I'll talk to you tomorrow." And he said, "Oh, by the way, I've uh, eliminated your position at the chamber." I was like, "What?" He goes, "Yeah, you're no longer working here." And so I looked at him, I, we're on Zoom, right? I go, you're kidding. Like, this is a joke. Like, April Fool's? And he's like, no, you're done. Come and pack up your things tomorrow. And uh, he told me I was, what they're saying was I was non-essential. Uh, and I told him, I'm like, well, I think you're not essential <laughs> uh, But <laughs> but he won the argument. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm in my office. I was in this room and I, I got up and I was like, well, how do I go tell my wife that I don't have a job anymore? Right? Going into COVID, I'm like. I was freaking out. Like, am I going to get another sales job? How are we going to survive? How are we going to pay the mortgage and everything? And uh, women are smart, and she knew me. And I want I was I was upset and frustrated. I want to write a letter to the editor of the paper and just say all these kinds of nasty things. But she said, uh, you know what? Just go play golf. Take the rest of the day. Go play golf. I know that's your your safe space. And so that's what I did. I went and played golf, and we came back and. We were talking that week uh, after dinner one night, and she said, well, what is it you'd really want to do? Because I had never used unemployment insurance before in my life, but I had eight months. So I like, okay, I've got to run away for eight months. Um, let's figure something out. And I said, if, if I could do anything, I would go back and do stand-up comedy. But that requires me being away from home, which is not good for a marriage. Um, and it doesn't pay that much. You know, I can make way more money doing sales. And she said, well, she goes, I know you miss being on the stage. You love making people happy. You're always Mr. Positive, and you've done well at sales your whole career. She goes, why don't you go back and help people work happy? And that's when the light went off. I said, that's it. And I said, I'm going to go and share with people how to work happy. And uh, from there, that was, well, over two years ago. And just started doing some research. There was not anybody really out there that was specifically going and training and helping people work happy. They're mm-hmm. sales trainers, which is great, right? Selling more. But what I found was that happy salespeople sell thirty-seven percent more. Right. So rather than training them, the you know the what to say or how to say it or the questions to ask or whatnot, I thought, well, if I can help someone be happy with their lives. A, they're going to be more happy. And if they're sales, they're going to sell 37% more. And I did more research and I found out that happy people are 18% more productive. There's less turnover. There's better mental health. All these kinds of things. And so I just started reaching out to companies and said, here's what I'm doing. Are you guys, you know, how's your team? How's your culture? Are you guys happy? People are like, oh, we're struggling. It's COVID. Everybody's at home. We don't know what to do. Uh, we're remote. And so I just started Listening to people and hearing all these challenges that they had, and just started building this work happy company. And now I get to go, I get to be on stage, mm. I get to travel. But the most rewarding part, Dave, is that I get to help people. And I have conversations all the time about mental health, uh, about how do we work happy um I had a conversation the other day with someone at a coffee shop. A guy I know and I haven't seen him for four months. He goes, "I've been following you, and I really appreciate you." Um, my wife just walked out on me. What do I do? And so I sat there for forty-five minutes and just listened to him. And I don't have any answers on because I've never been through a divorce. But by the end of the conversation, he was like, "Well, what do you think I should do?" And I said, "Well, have you talked to a counselor about it?" And so, you know. And it's just having conversations that I found a real niche with how do we listen better? How do we be more vulnerable and share? And it's, it's just, it's been amazing because the conversation that I have and and the change that I see in an organization, when organizations put people before profits, mm. uh, their profits turn around. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's the short answer of how I got here. Yeah. <laughs>
0: it's, it's a it's a great story and i and i love that I, I resonate with it because in terms of my sort of um last few years in terms of business with delivering stress training and, and using humor and props to break down the barriers and i think that's one of the things that i think um it's a it's a real powerful way in to get people talking and opening up about this because there are as you kind of point out it's, there's resistances there's, there's there's challenges culturally to opening up about this stuff both in business and you know just generally so whatever you can do to sort of break down those barriers and get them talking but at the same time that humor because you use that within your your uh, work yeah. um as well as the practical advice and stuff which will, I'll I'll ask you a few questions about but I think that if that can break down the barriers and get people talking to get them to open up to be that little bit more vulnerable then yeah. you a way in having you to help them as as you found out you know as you as you see with your 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 friend there that you hadn't seen for such a long time
1: yeah and and laughter is a universal language right I mean there's been stories after stories where you know you you share a joke with somebody or whatnot I I reminded of a story with uh Robin Williams and, and Steven Spielberg and how laughter brings us together and helps us through the hard times um Obviously, Steven Spielberg's made amazing movies, and Robin Williams is one of the, you know, funniest people I've ever come across um, yeah. in my lifetime. And they back in the day they did a movie together, uh, Hook, uh, Captain Hook, right? So Robin was the actor, and Steven was the producer. Uh, a couple of years later, Steven Spielberg was working on uh, Schindler's List, which, if you haven't seen it, uh, you've been living under a rock. But it's about the Holocaust, right? So a very heavy subject, um, a lot of stress, a lot of, you know, I, I just would imagine working on the show, producing, having to learn all about it and then act it out and make sure it's a great film would be really heavy on anybody, right? Whether you're the producer or the actor. Um, and because Robin and Stephen had a relationship, Stephen called them up. He said, man, I'm just, I'm really struggling. It's a heavy subject matter He goes, "Uh, I need your help. What should I do? And Robin goes, well, why don't I just make you laugh? So for 15 minutes, Robin Williams on a phone did stand-up comedy for Steven Spielberg, (laughs) a one-man show talking to Steven Spielberg. And then uh, Steven had this big laugh. And Robin's like, all right, I'll see you tomorrow, and hung up. (laughs) (laughs) And he he called him throughout, you know, the the making of this lift. And he would call, and as soon as he got Steven Spielberg to a place where he was laughing, he'd hang up and call him the next day. And Spielberg said if if it wasn't for that, he doesn't know if the movie would have been made or finished, right? Because it went from Robin telling Spielberg jokes and making him laugh, and then Spielberg's like, well, maybe he can call and talk to the whole cast, and then the cast would watch stand-up comedy after filming or before filming, right, to get them in the right frame of mind. So when, when we laugh, it releases those endorphins. Mm. It makes us happier and it lifts our spirits. It reduces breath. It's good for our heart. It's good for our blood pressure. Uh, So there's, you know, many, many good positive things from laughter.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that this is,
1: you know, you talk about the
0: last couple of years. I think at any time it's really important. But if you talk about where a lot of people are uh, and organizations are with the pressure from um, COVID and post-COVID and and all the fallout from that. That yeah. um, it, it certainly feels like there's there's precious little or there's less laughter about, you know, or less inclination to do it. And I think uh, to to find to laugh, particularly in the workplace, and and for me, working with mid-lifers, um, they're, yeah. they're people who potentially are carrying a, a fair bit of responsibility both in and out of work, you know, and um, that they're spending a lot of time at work is it's important to find find that time find those moments you know as a former police officer I know how important humor was as a coping mechanism never mind anything mm-hmm. else to bond with your, your 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 teammates and that kind of thing so really powerful so in terms of it what what um in terms of your approach with the work happy side of things what what do you do to suggest or how do you work with your clients in terms of that? what what are the takeaways really i guess for for if there's listeners who are thinking you know my workplace is the most happy place i'm not i'm not that fulfilled i'm not enjoying it as well we're not getting on as well what's some good advice
1: well i i, I think the first advice or, or the first nugget would be just to realize where you are at and if you're not happy um, how, how do you become happier? Uh, I've always been a, a happy go lucky guy. Uh, so I've never gone through severe anxiety or depression or anything like that, but I have days, especially during COVID, right. With overwhelm or fog and you're just like, ah, not another day. And, you know, so I, I, and I preach this all the time. i start off your day with laughter, right? What makes you laugh? What makes you laugh? might be different than what makes me laugh, but take five minutes and have a good laugh, right? Or if uh, a client phone call goes sideways, you know, pull up pull up Brian Regan on, on YouTube, right? Have a good laugh. Um, but there's so many things that we can do to lower that stress and to be happy. Uh, one is laughter. Another one, as silly as it sounds, is breathing, right? If we do proper breathing as humans, because... We're at the point, at least I'm at the point until I started researching this, I never even thought about breathing, right? It's just you automatically do it. You don't think about your breathing until we're talking about it now. Yeah. But there's various different techniques. There's box breathing, um, and it really triggers the hippocampus in our nervous system. Again, it reduces blood pressure. Uh, it makes us happier. Um, it reduces stress. So all these things can contribute because... Um, happiness is, is is a do-it-yourself project I guess you would say right uh, I can't make you happy. only Dave can make yourself happy right and and growing up I thought this as well too and, and there's days I still revert back to it but you know growing up I'm like well if I marry the right person I'll be happy. if I have the right job I'll be happy you know why my boss should make me happy they should create a culture mm. um, But the boss or the management, for a culture they have to be willing to let people create that happiness culture you know or lead with it but it could be a great culture but if i'm not in the right frame of mind or if i don't want to be happy you know having extra food at work might not make me happy so it's the things that we do whether it's laughing breathing uh meditation um or service acts of service you know uh i have a a group of guys here in town um it's just called men in the middle last night we went to somebody's office and everybody brought a bottle of wine and we had 10 dudes just talking about family talking about our dreams talking about um you know service and out of that we're going to be going to uh, a christian aid service here or a christian aid center here in town uh and they help people who are down and out who are homeless and uh, on the 30th we're going to go we're going to cook dinner and serve dinner to homeless people and when we do access of service, again, that makes us happy, that reduces stress, it's better for our heart health, it's better for our brain health, everything. So if we take care of ourselves, um, the happiness follows. But just because I say I'm happy today, doesn't mean I'm not going to stub my toe on the way out of the office, right? <laughs> and say a bunch of bad words and be, be frustrated, or, you know, a call might go sideways. So it's up to us to be happy, but it's just small things you know and and what the work happy program does is take people from stress uh to self-care uh from a sense of loneliness which we've all gone through especially last years because the community again and then the third part is how do we work on our brain health how do we take care of our minds so that we can function as optimal as we can Mm -hmm. Yeah,
0: there's a lot there. I mean, I, I guess the loneliness yeah. one is worth, really worth underscoring, isn't it? Because particularly over the last couple of years, um, that the importance of connection and reconnecting. Um, yeah. So I, I'll come back to the brain health shortly, actually. But any thoughts on the loneliness side? Because it, it's something that you cover in your work. Yeah, yeah.
1: no, absolutely. Um, get get back to... to the one-on-one calls. I mean, I know we're we're across the world, so this is the best we can do right now. But you know, in your own community or even at your own job, go for a coffee instead of texting somebody. Mm-hmm. Uh have a conversation. Give somebody a hug. I mean, I don't I don't know about you, but what coming out of the pandemic, man, <laughs> when you didn't have to wear a mask or be six feet apart, every time I would see somebody, I'm like, bring it in, man. Let's let's hug it out, right? Mm-hmm. It felt so good. So just reconnecting. And I've found um, in my business and talking to people, rather than sending a ton of emails or a ton of Zooms, I'll pick up the phone, right? And and have a phone conversation. And it's, again, it's not uh, the one-to-one or the face-to-face, but just reaching out because a lot of people are like, oh, well, I don't know, I don't want to bother people and this or that. But I mean, I remember growing up when we didn't have cell phones Mm-hmm. And we would go over, to, you know, we used to go over to our neighbor's house and just knock on their door and say, hey, how are things going? We go out yeah. and play or watch TV together or or whatnot, but we don't do that anymore. I, I think these things as much as well, can't see it here, but my phone, the yeah. smartphones, I, I don't know if they've helped us more or hurt us more. Mm-hmm. Right. We're all everything's so instant. Um, the news, who knows what's right, what's wrong. But. Yeah. If we can get out and have conversation and, you know, go out to pub and have pints with people, or maybe it's church that you're into, right? Find that group of people that you can get out there, have conversation, be human again, instead of living on our phones.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I, 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 I think you're right. We, we've got out of the habit of it. And even now when I run sessions... It's it's interesting how many nods you get when you say, have we fallen out of the habit of actually just getting out with friends and stuff? And there's a lot yeah. of people nodding, but you know, perhaps that social life that was planned regular routine beforehand has just yeah. fallen in by the wayside and we're struggling to get it back. So I think yeah. actually recognizing that and making a concerted effort to 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 get them in that uh, you know, the, the beers with the mates that you know, needs to happen more frequently than than it probably has done for a long time. Hugging somebody, catching up with a coffee, speaking to a neighbor. Um, Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think, and there's no replacement for in-person.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, where we'd be without the technology over the last couple of years, yeah, it's been a bit of a godsend because of what's happened, I guess, although it's brought with it other issues. Um, But you cannot replace just in-person human contact. (laughs) Yeah,
1: it's so great now that I, you know, when I go out, I can speak to people again, right? Mm-hmm. I'm on a stage and afterwards we can have conversations in the hallway, you know, about happiness, mm-hmm. about brain health, how do we take care of ourselves, all those kinds of things. But there's other stuff that we can do. You know, one of them is, is gratitude. And I started doing this during, the, during COVID. I was listening to a podcast and the guy was saying, every morning when you wake up, write three things that, now that you're grateful for. Which I did, which made me feel great. But after three or four weeks, it was like the same six things. Mm-hmm. Thankful for my family. I'm thankful for food, my shelter, whatever. And then I thought, why don't I, why don't I send a gratitude text? And it's been phenomenal. And I get so many comments and people will send these. And every time I speak um, towards the beginning, I said, you know, now it's time to bring out your phones and turn them on. And people are like, what? And I'm like, I know. Five minutes, we're going to be on our phone. And and I walk them through a gratitude text, and it's simple. It's just finding someone in your phone that you may not have talked to recently or, or shown gratitude, whether it's your kid, uh, a spouse, uh, a friend, a colleague, or whatnot. And I did this. Uh, it was a Monday morning, and I sent a text to my brother because when I was in college, I went and taught English as a second language uh, the South Pacific uh, on an island that was very remote. We got mail. Was it? I think it was once a month that we that mail came in on a ship. Um, we didn't find out that Michael Jordan had retired until like six months after he retired. I mean, <laughs> that's how we it was. Um, and my brother had always been a bookworm. I was more of, you know, uh, the sports column of scores. Um, but I was so bored. I sent him a, a letter and said, hey, man, if you could, can you send me some books that you like? And he sent me a box. There must have been eight or 10. There was John Grisham and Tom Clancy books that he liked. And so I got these and I just devoured them. And then everybody on the island, like, Oh yeah. Can I read this? So I really got into reading uh, all because of my brother and I never thanked him or or told him that story. So, you know, I don't know. It must've been a year ago. I I texted him. I said, Hey bro, uh, I just wanted to let you know how thankful I am uh, because I love to read. I read all the time. And if it wasn't for you, I probably, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't be as knowledgeable or have had the life that I had because I, I wouldn't have read. So thank you for that. And uh, he usually takes a day or two to get back on the text. But within five minutes, he texted me back. He goes, wow, that really made my day. I had no idea. And I think that's just cool that you're reading because I love to read. You picked up on my hobby, right? So when I sent the text, I felt good because I was thanking him. And then when he got the text, he felt good. But when he texted me back the gratitude, I felt even better than when I sent it, right? So doing that, uh, writing hand thank you uh, cards, you know, everybody's on Facebook. That's the only, I've not gotten a birthday card in probably 10 years, right? But if you have a friend, you can go buy a birthday card, drop it in the mail. um, And when you open a letter, that's not a bill or a warrant or (laughs) whatever, you know. Uh, it, it's great. So there's little things like that that we can still be human without even the face to face, right? Just being grateful for people.
0: Absolutely. I think, um, yeah, the power of that. Those small things. They, they, have, they have a two way effect, don't they? As well, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, and and I think this is the thing. It's it's the small things that can really really matter. And so you you've kind of captured a few things there that that are simple in, in a sense, aren't they? That you know the the gratitude text, yeah. um, do something funny, or, yeah. or find something funny to have a laugh on a morning. You know, before you start, or when you have a moment, just just put something funny, on or something that moves you in in that way. That that could just shift your state. It doesn't necessarily solve the underlying problem, but it puts you in a better place to get on with possibly solving the problem or to to let it go. So I love that. I think I think absolutely a great yeah. thoughts. You know, you mentioned there about brain health. Um, what what do you mean by that? And what's your thought on that? Is, that, is it is some of the tips that you share sharing there is around that? Or yeah. What,
1: what you well, uh, in the the more research and I I just shared with uh, uh, the group of guys, we all have the same business coach. Uh, I was listening to a podcast by Jay Shetty. It's uh, called On Purpose. I recommend it to anybody. Um, but he has a guest. Uh, he's been on there three times. Uh, his name is Dr. Daniel Amen. And he's a, he's a psychologist uh, and a brain researcher. And he's done scans of people's brains to see how healthy they are. Mm. He's done over 200,000 of these scans. And in this podcast, he was talking about we shouldn't be calling it mental illness or mental health. We should be calling it brain health because our, our minds are, are what we think and, and, and what we do in life, but it's our brain that controls our thoughts and controls our minds. And he was saying, you can look at a prisoner's brain and they're severely damaged, someone who's committed murder or a long time criminal, right? Their brains are completely damaged, whether it's from drugs, alcohol, uh, diet. Uh, or the biggest one is trauma, right? Either early herd trauma or stuff that they've gone through. And he, his thing is like, let's get healthy brains. And if we say brain health instead of mental health, it's, it, it accentuates the positive instead of the negative, mm-hmm. right? Because if I have, if I'm not doing well with anxiety, um, it's it might not be my fault, right? And there's still that stigma. Like, oh, I have extreme anxiety. I can't leave the house. Why is that? Well, they've scanned these brains and they found that people with anxiety don't have a healthy brain. And there's ways that we can retrain them uh, through therapy, through diet, through sleep, um, all these good things, less alcohol, no drugs um, can really, really help the brain. So that really resonated with me. You know, words do matter. Um, and if we say brain health versus mental illness or mental health, um, and I talk a lot about, you know, suicide as well, too. And, and it still, it bugs me. Um, but I don't fault people because before four or five years ago, I would say terms like committed suicide, which, right, criminals commit crimes. People take their lives or they, you know, they died by suicide. And so I try and teach that as well too, right? Let's change the vernacular, the words that we're using so they're more positive and so people feel it's okay to talk about suicide. Um, You know, show empathy, ask questions because we need to. Let's have a conversation about suicide before suicide versus after suicide. Mm -hmm. And I hear it over and over again. Well, they were the last person I would have thought. But Yes, but if you would have had a conversation about your brain health and your anxiety or what's leading up to the suicide, that conversation or therapy or medication, whatever works best for that person. You know, we can save lives by by simply having a conversation and, and showing compassion and showing love for one another. Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and, and it's a subject close to my heart as well. Um, but I'm I'm very much on board with the the, the vernacular, the, the language we use around the the whole area of so-called yeah. mental health. But I love that idea of thinking about it in terms of brain health because even even saying mental health versus brain health gives you a different feel, doesn't it? Yeah, you know, we all have mental health is a, f- a common phrase that's used now, which is very true. Yeah. But still, the phrase mental health brings a negative. Connotation to it versus brain health, which totally neutralizes that. Um, yeah, so it's a great the,
1: conversation starter too, right? Yeah, like, oh, I've yeah. never heard that. What do you mean? Exactly.
0: Brain yes, right? exactly. And I think you're absolutely right. And the key thing is, and especially when we're talking about the wording around things like suicide and and other, you know, you know, things like anxiety, depression, all that kind of thing, we need to be really, really clear about what what can and re, reinforce stereotypes and perspectives versus yeah. what can gently challenge in a, po- a positive way but shift it to a positive and and as you say start conversations i mean i think that's really important and that's where i guess um you know <clears throat> we spend a lot of time at work <laughs> do you know what i mean we spend yeah. a, such a lot of time and uh, as you say yes there's the bottom line there's the profit there's f- from a from an organization's perspective but people before profit as a perspective is there's the moral there's the the there's all sorts of kids i want to work you know if i was employed yeah. but i want to I want to work for organizations. I want my family to work for organizations, actually give us toss about them that's, that care. yeah. And and that's the bottom line, isn't it? You know, so anything we could do to bring that in to the conversations, to lower the barriers through use of humor, you know, and to, to get people to feel a little bit more engaged and happy at work, it's got
1: to be, yeah. just, it's it's a win-win for everybody. Yeah, so, absolutely. Right. You know, people, people who have good brain health and, and, and who work happy, um, You know, it's better for our health, but it's better for the company too, right? They're not spending as much uh, money on insurance or helping people, you know, going to therapy. Um, But the other thing is, too, when I I talk to organizations, obviously it's a leadership down. But if we can have these conversations so that leadership knows about brain health and how to talk about it. And I have people all the time, well, how do you start a conversation around it? and mm. for what i'm doing guys that i check in on or people i check in i just simply ask how's your headspace mm. right it's not negative it's not anything like well you know work's going really great but my relationship isn't oh tell me more okay. right because i i think long gone are the days when you know when we were raised as kids like suck it up don't cry be a man yeah. right yeah. all those kinds of things which which is true right i mean you don't want you know, at 50, if you know, I, I stub my toe, I don't want to be crying and being emotional and all that. That's different than having, dealing with anxiety, right? Mm. Um, but we we need to have those conversations. We need to, to, to hug each other. We need to have conversations so feel, people feel safe uh, to talk about what's going on in their lives. Because uh, a recent study I saw, eight out of 10 people uh, are suffering with mental health problems but they're not willing to talk to Mm. work to hr because of the shame and the stigma yeah but if hr if we can get them on board and hr says to everybody like hey our big focus uh and i have one client that i i work with Jackson contractor group uh in november they had mental health month right so it was the company saying hey this is important to us we want you to be able to feel like you can come talk to us, um, and we can help you. You know, whether it's talking to your doctor or go finding a counselor or whatever you need for your journey. Um, and when that happens, uh, people, employees, feel more inclined. I after the keynote that I did for these guys, uh, I was I had another appointment or another speak engagement the next day, so I had to leave and drive. So I was. Out in the hallways, and I probably talked to five or ten people. And as I was leaving, uh, a younger guy came up to me, and he said, hey, do you have a second? I want to talk to you. I'm like, absolutely. So we're standing in the parking lot, and uh, he said, thank you for talking about mental health. He goes, I actually joined this company because uh, my old company did put an emphasis on mental health, and I've dealt with anxiety my whole life. Mm. So my buddy worked here. He was telling me about it, so I came to this company. And then I get here, and you're talking about it. He said, but now the problem is I'm getting anxiety for having to go talk to my new manager about anxiety. <laughs> right. yeah. And uh, I, uh, I said, okay. Uh, I said, well, who's your manager that you would potentially talk to? And he said, well, it's the guy who introduced you this morning. I said, oh, great. I go, we've already had this conversation. He knows. He's on side. That's partly why you brought me in, right? To talk to everybody. Uh, to normalize that conversation. So you guys can even have more conversations. Like, yeah, but I, I don't know what to do. How do I do it? I said, well, you know, whatever you feel comfortable, you either call them or send them a quick text and say, hey. Uh, and I said, put the blame on me. I said, ah, hey, man, I just, I want to talk with you. Can we go get coffee? I have some questions about what Greg, you know, said this morning. Uh, and I heard back from, oh, probably four or five days later. and said, you know what? We went for coffee. We had a whole conversation about mental health and anxiety and things are great. He's going to help me work through this, Mm -hmm. what I need to do. And, you know, driving, driving eight hours there and eight hours back was well worth it for that one conversation that I had with a guy. Right. Mm -hmm. Because I think a lot of us were just like, oh, I don't want to bother people or what are they going to think of me? Am I going to not get promoted? Mm -hmm. You know, we 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 don't get anxiety. It's not our fault that we get it Mm -hmm. right. It happens. It's like cancer. You can't blame yourself for getting cancer. Well, I mean, unless you smoke like a chimney, uh, <laughs> you know, but I mean, stuff happens to us. And yeah. and it's been so helpful for me and my family and my journey to everybody I talk to. Let's talk more about it. Let's be open. Let's be empathetic because we're better together. Yeah. So that those, those are the things that I, I get really excited yeah. are the conversations after I have a talk or after I have a training yeah. where people have these breakthroughs and, you know, yeah. I can talk to anybody. I can talk to you about my mental health. Yep. You know, I can yep. ask you. Right? Yep. And, and the other thing is, too, you know, uh, a lot of people are still like, oh, I don't want to talk about it. So you're like, hey, how are things going? And your buddy goes, huh? Ah, good. Just ask it to him again. and go, no, how are things really going? I have time to talk. Let's mm. shoot the ship. Right? Mm. And that right there, letting him know that you have time to talk and you're willing to talk. We'll drop that wall and you can have a conversation. And I'm, I'm not a counselor. I'm not a doctor. But once we have that conversation, I can bring up I'm like, yeah, I go to a counselor. I talk to my doctor. I have ADHD, right? So I talk to my doctor about that and I've got a prescription for that. But, you know, I talk to my counselor, whether it's, you know, business or my family or my friends. And when you share what you're doing for your brain health, then the other person is like, well, if Greg can do it, I can do it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. so absolutely and i think this is this is the this is the great thing isn't it it's having more of these conversations and just finding different ways to break to bring down the barriers to get yeah. people talking. which is what why you know i mean we've had some great conversations and and um and what have you but you know i, I love your approach and your work which brings me to because i'm conscious of time and i and i think we've we've covered loads there um, but yeah. one thing I did want to flag up for for listeners in particular w- was one one uh, particular resource that that fell out of you talking at the TEDx in Spokane. Is it is, is that pronounced? Yeah, right? yeah
1: Spokane. Um, yeah.
0: Now, just listeners, just I, I think this is you know hopefully you've enjoyed the conversation and got a lot out of it. I really urge you to, to check it out. I'll put the link in the show notes, but uh, search for Greg Kettner TEDx and you'll find it. It's a great. Is it twelve minutes something like that? Something? Yeah. Yeah, 12 minutes or so to next talk, where, which is, it, it, it captures really what we've talked about in the whole session. Um, it's a stand-up, poignant, um, practical advice in there, but wrapped in such in some wonderful stories and humour and just really, really brilliant. So it, that's one of the things I want to shout out to that was the work well, you do is great, the conversations you're having, and I think the, the approach is really bang on. That particular TEDx talk is really worth seeing and looking at for anybody because, in itself, it'll make you feel better. It'll be one of those things where you'll come away smiling and feeling better, but it'll also make you think as well. So, yep. firstly, thanks for that. Um, well, that thank TEDx you. Talk. Brilliant. Um, any, anything else? Any parting thoughts from yourself just before we, we shoot off? We will link, add some links and, and what have you, and show us how people get in touch with you. But any parting thoughts from yourself?
1: Yeah, no, I, I just think we, we need to take more time slow down, take care of each other, tell the people that we love, tell them that we love them and just have conversations. Mm. I check in on my wife. I check in on my daughter. How, you know, how's your headspace, right? Because my wife has different stresses than my daughter has, which are different stresses than I have, right? They're, they're female. I'm male. I work alone. My wife is at, uh, you know, at the bank with, with uh, people around. uh, And I'm, uh, and Rachel's at school with all her friends, which is funny because I'm the guy that's the extrovert and I work by myself. And then my wife and daughter, who are introverts, work with people. So even myself, you know, being in this room here, uh, I have to get out and, and I, I go for lunches or I go meet buddies or we go golfing or we go, you know, do different things. So but yeah, if if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me. Probably you just is on LinkedIn. Um, but Let's just take the time. Let's have more conversation. Yeah. Let's be more empathetic. And let's tell the people we love that we love because we don't do that enough.
0: Yeah. I'm not going to say anything to add to that. Thank you very much for your time, Greg. It's been brilliant. And uh, any thoughts or feedback, uh, email Dave at uh, RestlessMidlifer.com and check out those show notes for links, et cetera. And thanks for your time. Thank you, Greg. It's been brilliant.
1: Great. Thanks again, Dave. I appreciate you.
0: Cheers. Thank you for listening. You'll find all show notes, links and resources mentioned at midlifereshape.com forward slash podcast. And it would mean so much if you could spread the word to your fellow restless midlifers. Share the show and links and if you aren't already, subscribe to the show in your podcast feed of choice. And one more thing. If you enjoy the show, it would be great if you could rate it by visiting midlifereshape.com forward slash review. It would mean so much, and I may even give you a shout-out in return. And a quick final thanks to production assistant Karen North of North BA and for the music, which is called Silver Star, by the awesome Logan Nicholson of Music for Makers at musicformakers.com. Take care for now, and don't forget you really can reshape your midlife health and rekindle that spirit of adventure.